0: The International Olympic Committee, the IOC, and other sports federations, like FIFA, have recently introduced policies which require a medical investigation of women who are known or perhaps suspected of having hyperandrogenism. The women who are found to have naturally high testosterone levels are banned from competition unless they have either a surgical or pharmacological intervention to lower their natural testosterone levels. A recent analysis published on bmj.com says that these tests and procedures are at best not medically necessary, and at worst unethical. In this podcast, I'm joined by two of the authors of that paper. Rebecca Jordan-Young, who is Professor of Women's Gender and Sexuality Studies at Barnard College in the States. Thanks for joining us, Rebecca. Thank you. And also Katrina Karkasas, bioethicist at Stanford Center for Biomedical Ethics. Thanks to you too, Katrina. Thank you. So you set out what's going on with androgen testing in uh, female athletes, and I was astonished to read how variable that is across different sports and with different regulatory bodies and even within countries. So, So, Rebecca, if we start with you, what's the lay of the land at the moment?
1: Beginning in 2011 and 2012, the International Association of Athletic Federations and the International Olympic Committee began to um, have formal regulations that would limit uh, the eligibility of women whose own testosterone is naturally high, so endogenous testosterone being high. But then what's interesting is what counts as high. Uh, Other Uh, international bodies have followed with similar regulations, and across the different organizations, um, there is a lot of variability in precisely how those work. They all have a very strong similarity in that um, each policy is based on the idea that Women whose own testosterone levels are naturally high have an unfair advantage over other women athletes, Um, so that's an assumption that runs through all the policies, but then um, which women in particular, how high is too high, is something that does vary, so some of the organizations have no particular limit. And it's um, apparently determined uh, on some kind of a case-by-case basis and others set specific limits. For example, um, with the uh, IAAF, the limit is 10 nanomils per litre. And the uh, a, a national policy from India is considerably lower than that.
0: Mm. So uh, there's no sort of agreed level that would seem like... a falling well outside the bell curve anyway.
1: No, and one interesting thing, some of the policies uh, state um, in a rather general way that um, women are excluded if their testosterone is within the male range, but then it's important to note that, that uh, the precise uh, figures that go along with an idea of being in the male range is also variable, so... Um, different studies, different labs, different kinds of clinical populations, and then athlete populations all would have um, different norms for what counts as a male or a female range. And the the bottom threshold of that might be somewhere around, you know, eight in some studies. It might be ten. Again, we're talking nanomoles per liter. So it's all, um, this, these sound like very technical Issues, but actually, it could mean the a difference for whether or not an athlete is eligible um, could really depend on which body is looking at her eligibility on which lab they happen to choose as a reference point, and it could change the number of of women who are affected by this quite considerably
0: um and despite the issues, this testing is still going ahead, and you've got a case study uh, in your analysis article which um, really sets out the ethical and and medical problems in doing this kind of test. And Katrina, if we can turn to you, um, can you take us through those cases that you've written about?
2: So, Duncan, the reason that we chose to highlight that article is actually because it's really the first report that we have since the implementation of these policies of how they're operating. And no one has had any information about that up until now. And there are a couple of things that I think are incredibly important about that report. One is that we now know that universal doping tests are a route through which women will be identified. So the reason that it's important is that every female athlete will undergo doping screening. And in a sense, what this means now is that these are mandatory and universal tests that will be done on all women. The other thing that we learn um, is that there are doping agents or officers who are actually looking at genitalia for signs of atypical genitalia, and that tells us that not only may higher levels of testosterone be a trigger for an investigation, but atypical genitalia are also a trigger for an investigation. And what the report tells us, really, are the... the um, procedures that women who want to continue to compete must undergo in order to continue to be eligible. And the article is very clear that those procedures, which in this case were gonadectomy on all four women with five alpha reductase, and also what they are calling partial clitoridectomy, Um, were performed but that there was no medical reason for these procedures to have been performed and that's really the crux of our ethical concern is that sporting eligibility is being used as a route for medical intervention that is medically unnecessary irreversible and highly invasive
0: Mm. I mean the the term partial cliterectomy there sounds uh, horrific frankly was there any explanation as to why women were going for that, uh, given that obviously that wouldn't reduce um, testosterone levels? Uh, was that to to have more sort of conforming genitalia for these tests, or is it uh, cosmetic things that them, they wanted themselves? Do you, was there any indication of why um, that was done?
1: To be clear, there... We are limited in some ways by what's uh, available in the published article of the of the implementation. So, we would love to have more information on, for example, the consent process, on the explanation of the procedures and the alternatives. What we do know is uh, the the uh, doctors who performed these procedures write that they proposed. the women, a uh, set of interventions that would include gonadectomy, partial clitoridectomy, and a deferred vaginoplasty. What the doctors state in the article is that that was proposed. Our concern is that medically unnecessary procedures are being proposed in the context of this testing policy.
0: Yeah, I can see that. Thanks. Thanks for that.
1: Here's something we know, Duncan. Um, Even the use of the word clitoridectomy
2: is one that has been issued for decades now in the medical literature, so it's somewhat striking semantically to us that they would use that. This is a procedure that has long been performed on women with atypical genitalia who have intersex traits, and it's come under an extraordinary amount of scrutiny for the better part of 20 years. So part of what I find jarring about that proposition is that this is a procedure that has come under an extraordinary amount of criticism in the United States, in many European countries, in other developing countries, and we would want to be very clear that if this is something that is being offered to women, that they have an understanding of all of the criticisms that have been raised by doing clitoral surgery.
1: But to, and then to add to that, you could read this implementation report um, and have no idea that there is even a controversy. There's no mention at all um, about any of the uh, difficulties, the complaints, the controversies, and the long-term um, functional impairments that follow from uh, clitoridectomy.
0: And from gonadidectomy as well
1: that's true. There are no yeah. mentions of any of the long-term consequences of either of the interventions that are undertaken, and both of those concern us quite a lot.
0: Absolutely. Um, given that the women uh, that you're talking about here all had 5-alpha reductase deficiency, so karyotypically they were um, XY, and uh Phenotypically, they may have had unusual genitalia, which these uh, officials were looking out for. You do wonder why they were subjected to a potentially humiliating uh, examination when simple karyotyping may have picked up what they were looking for.
1: Well, this actually connects somewhat to the history of sex testing in sports, which I'll I'll Say very, very quickly that um, for decades they were actually, uh, there was universal screening of elite female athletes only. Mind you, there has never been any form of sex testing for male athletes, Um, uh, but there was universal karyotype screening, and that created quite a few problems because uh, counterintuitively, sex turns out to not be such a simple thing to. to decide based on biological characteristics, and there were many cases where um, an athlete was identified as having an XY karyotype, and that was her first in- indication uh, ever that she had some kind of atypicality with her sex. Um, this uh, came to a head with uh, different cases that um, created quite a few challenges and eventually through um, both challenge from athletes and uh, scientists who gave feedback that there wasn't any objective reason to use XY karyotyping, that test was dropped. Um, But it turned out that that athletics uh, organizations were still doing suspicion-based testing of women athletes when their um, sex was challenged. Um, and they the organizations now claim quite vigorously that this policy on testosterone is not a sex test or it's not gender verification, um, but it, it really functions uh, exactly like sex testing and gender verification. Um, And we see in the policies as well as in the implementation so far that we know about that um, they really are concerned quite specifically with uh, women with intersex conditions. So Duncan, you started your question
2: really by asking why they can't do karyotyping, And the answer is that To them, this is not sex testing. What they're looking for is high levels of androgens in women. So a karyotype cannot tell you whether or not a woman has high levels of androgens. And it harkens back to all of the earlier problems um, that sports officials themselves have recognized about how you mark someone as male or female and everyone is agreed that a karyotype alone cannot categorize someone as male or female. So that is in part why they don't use that. It doesn't define sex and it can't tell you if someone has high testosterone.
0: Sure. So I suppose this all comes back to the idea that um, having inherently higher levels of testosterone as, as these women did um, gives you an athletic advantage uh but does that give you an athletic advantage when compared to say you know a longer leg length or just greater body mass um altogether
1: there was a a research um poster presented by a number of uh both high-ranking officials from the International Olympic Committee Medical Commission, as well as medical and scientific experts um, who had advised them and worked on this policy. And remarkably, what they state in this policy, and this is a direct quote, women with DSDs have no more competitive advantage than other elite athletes with favorable genetics. So in other words, they the people who... Uh, who crafted this policy um, have acknowledged from the beginning that there is no more competitive advantage in this group compared to athletes um, who have any other kind of natural physical variation that relates to their sport. And frankly, by definition, anybody who gets to the level of the world stage has something unusual about their body um, and, and I would add not just their biological advantages, but a lot of, of um, uh, advantages, including economic, social, et cetera, that play into helping somebody develop into a great athlete. So the, the flat answer directly from the people who formed the policy is no, there isn't any more advantage here. And I'd like to just add that there's an interesting Um, issue with choosing to use the word advantage here, we could think about, you know, does um, testosterone or does some genetic variation um, matter in terms of uh, somebody's sports capabilities, their athletic capabilities? And the answer is yes, of course, it, it matters. But what's interesting is it doesn't matter in the same way to every body. And the idea that you can take any single biological trait and flatly characterize that as an advantage just really doesn't match the science.
0: Mm. Absolutely. So given um, that and given the ethical problems with um, testing for uh, raised levels of testosterone, what do you think the IOC or FIFA or whoever the regulatory body in question what should they
2: do? in a couple of things. One is that doping tests are able to screen between endogenous and exogenous testosterone. So this is not a question about women cheating. And those procedures for doping should remain in place. What they should not do is serve as a trigger for further investigation about a woman's sex trait. So once it's been established that the high level of testosterone is endogenous, then the case should be closed. And the reason for that is that, as the uh, IOC officials themselves say, these women have no more, quote unquote, advantage than women with other kinds of um, genetic aberrations. And the costs are too high regarding gonadectomy and what we now know women underwent, which is also clitoral surgery, to continue to have a policy like this. And so that, at this point, is what we would recommend.
0: Nicely summed up, Katrina. That was Rebecca Jordan-Young from Barnard College and Katrina Carcasas from the Stanford Center for Biomedical Ethics, talking about androgen testing in female athletes the article we've been discussing today is now available on bmj.com where you can have your say about the issues and you can also vote in our poll asking should women athletes with high testosterone be banned from competing unless they have interventions to lower it all that now on bmj.com thanks for listening